seesaw of isolation. The seesaw of isolation. The seesaw of isolation. The seesaw of isolation. The seesaw of isolation. By Diane Bowne Wilson. Will anyone come to save him? Last night, four feet of water swept into Peter's house, leaving him beached upstairs like a whale on the shore. His 19th century worker's cottage is half a mile from the village centre, out of sight of other homes. Legend has it that the man who built it was a hermit shepherd who spent most of his time on the moors. Until today, Peter hasn't minded the isolation, being a private sort himself. But as he moves further into his eighties, he realizes that there are times when other folk can be useful, and one of them is now. The only way he'll get out of here any time soon is if someone comes to get him, and that's dependent on anyone remembering he's here. Now an entire day has passed, he's less than hopeful. No matter. The power's gone off, but he's managed to keep warm by swathing himself in layers like a bulky parcel. And the water from the bathroom tap still runs clear, so, like a trapped cat, he knows he should survive for quite a while yet. He's hungry, of course, but he's got a few sweets in his pocket and has known far worse. Starvation. Injury. Life-threatening fever. The difference is, he was younger then. Right now, that unfamiliar word, vulnerability, is starting to assume some meaning. Yesterday, following a week of torrential rain, radio and TV reports predicted that the local river would soon be unable to contain its flow. They were spot on. By the time he went to bed, it had burst its banks. But, confident that the water couldn't reach him upstairs, he'd hunkered down and surrendered to a fitful sleep. Today, with no communication channels and a flat mobile phone, assumptions are all he has to go on. Someone will come. He just has to be patient. As darkness once again descends, he returns to bed, mounding the covers for warmth. A couple of hours pass during which he lies in silence, thinking, remembering. Not much different from any other night, he muses. It's just that there are no other options now. The prospect of becoming a statistic, death due to being overlooked, seems a shabby way to go. Although he's now lived in the village for five years, he hasn't really made friends, albeit that he regularly passes the time of day with the woman in the shop and occasionally drops by the pub for a pint. Few names, few faces, not what you'd call relationships. Undoubtedly, there'd been speculation about him at first, but he must have drip-fed the locals just enough information to quench their thirst, because he's aware that they now refer to him as that old South African bloke who lives in Hermit Cottage. 
ex-army, divorced, no kids, bit of a loner. He doesn't mind the description. Having spent most of his life up front, prominent, a moving target, he's more than happy to be quietly anonymous now. Almost asleep, then he hears a sound. Oars splashing in the water, or just wishful thinking. Surely not. He fumbles for the torch and makes his way to the window as quickly as six layers of clothing allow. In a dinghy below is a young, dark-haired fellow in a high-vis jacket, a torch strapped to his forehead. He shouts up as Peter opens the window. Hello? Are you all right? Yes, but it's good you've come. Police, are you? No, mate. Volunteer rescue service. Police are tied up in the village. <laughs> it's a bit of a circus there. I'm surprised you're here at this time. And by yourself, too. Brave in this. Well, I knew about your cottage. Didn't seem right to leave you, so I thought I'd just pop down. Bit of an understatement, Peter thinks. If conditions were right for popping, he'd have struck out for the village himself. Much appreciated. I'm getting on a bit for heroics. Sensible. Anyway, you ought to come in with me. I guess your power's off, so you must be cold. Yes, but last time I looked, the water's still quite deep downstairs. I'm not sure I can get out to you. Okay, mate, I'll, I'll tie up and come inside. Is the front door open? No, I, I locked it last night. Haven't been able to get down since. What about the back? That's locked too. There's a key in the hanging basket. Sure thing. You just wait and I'll come and find you. Name's Tyler, by the way. Peter. Good to meet you. Peter watches his rescuer negotiate around the corner of the house, then makes his way to the top of the stairs. Even by torchlight, he can see several of the bottom steps are still underwater. He's surprised how relieved he feels that someone has come. Perhaps this is what people mean by loneliness. A year ago, if this had happened, he would have had his dog for company but he died a few months back and it hadn't seemed fair to get a replacement. Challenging for animals, this. Poor beasts. He hopes not too many have been lost. Within a couple of minutes, Tyler's at the foot of the stairs. At closer range, he's tall, fit-looking, clad in waders under his jacket with a hank of rope slung over his shoulder. Okay, then. Let's get you out of here. You ready to go? Glasses, pills, that sort of thing. Could be a while before you get back. Uh, can you give me a minute? It'll take no time to get a few things together. Okay, I I'll wait here rather than tramp mud over your upstairs. Your torch okay to see by? I it'll do. Good. Uh, actually, before you go... Can I suggest you bring any small valuables with you too? Money, jewellery, stuff like that. There's already been some looting in the village. 
That's so. Yeah, people, eh? If you've anything down here, I can help you get it. Hopefully not too many bundles of soggy 50-pound notes. Peter says nothing. It goes against his every instinct to open the safe in his bedroom, but he can't think of an alternative. Nearly all he has of value is in there. It wouldn't take a mastermind to crack it. He grabs a small rucksack from the wardrobe and throws in his toothbrush and a few other essentials. Then, training his torch on the safe, he punches in the code and the door springs open. There's cash inside, lots of it, plus a few pieces of prized ephemera, antique watches, rare pens, ivory figurines, which he also drops into the bag. They're all valuable, but it's the tiny velvet pouch that's most precious. He squeezes it in his palm, reassured by the underlying grittiness of the small stones, and shoves it deep into his trouser pocket. Ready, mate? Tyler shouts. I don't want to rush you, but... Coming! Peter laces his boots, sturdy footwear being essential in an emergency. Tyler is still standing in the water at the bottom of the stairs. Peter descends as quickly as he can in the feeble light, anxious not to fall. An arm stretches up to him, and as he steps into the water, he takes the hand for support. You okay with that bag? Probably best to give it to me, in case you slip. You don't want your goodies being swept away. Tyler's other hand reaches toward the rucksack strap, but Peter jerks away. No need. I'm not as doddery as I look. No, really, give it here. The voice is harsher. Peter's now standing on the bottom step just above Tyler, who's pulling at the rucksack strap firmly anchored under Peter's armpit. No longer assistance, this is a tussle. There's a hardness in the younger man's eyes. Mr. Nice Guy Rescuer has vanished. He's out for himself. It's a look Peter's seen many times before, and he knows what it means. Let go! This is. Drop your hand, and we'll leave it there. I don't think so, old man. Whatever you've got in there is probably justifiable payment for me coming out to save you. Nothing's ever free, is it? Momentarily, the two men stand motionless, water lapping around their legs, the sound of their breathing harsh and eerie silence. And if I'll give it to you, what will happen? I don't think you're going to put me in your boat so I can go and tell people that you've robbed me. True. For an old git, you're not stupid, are you? Tyler laughs. But I'm a reasonable bloke, so I'll give you a choice. Either I leave you, and you can see how long it takes anyone to find you once I've told them no one was here. Should you survive, I'll be long gone. Or you could come in the boat and we'll see how we get on. Although you might just meet with an unfortunate accident on the way back. By now, Tyler's face is so close to Peter's, he can smell beer on his breath. Why would you do that? I've only got a few quid and a couple of old watches in here. Hardly worth murdering someone for. Don't take the piss, mate. You may think we're stupid yokels around here, and most are. But some of us can put two and two together. South Africa, cash purchase of this place, 
I think you've got quite a bit stashed away and I heard you open the safe. Why the hell else would I have bothered to come out here? Nothing more to be said. A deep breath, a swift, perfectly placed headbutt, a kick with Peter's steel-toed boots, hard enough that he hears the crunch of bone and Tyler collapses into the water. He thrashes awkwardly, hampered by his waders, trying to find his footing. Summoning all his strength and still applying every assassin's greatest weapon, surprise, Peter leaps on him and with a few deft moves flips him over so he's face down in the water. Tyler struggles like a thrashing pike for what seems an eternity, so long that for the first time in his life, Peter starts to fear for his safety. Perhaps he is too old for this. But finally, all movement ceases and the body goes limp. Peter steps away awkwardly, utterly exhausted. He shrugs. Throughout the struggle, he's managed to keep the rucksack on his back. Not so feeble then, but shattered. Slowly, he pulls himself upstairs in the dark, having lost his torch in the struggle. Once in bed, he'll set his wind-up alarm clock for early morning so he can manoeuvre Tyler's body through the front door and into the deeper water and untie his boat and send it the same way. The current should still be strong enough to sweep them downstream. By the time anyone comes looking, they'll never know he'd been here. Upstairs, Peter's been standing by the window for at least half an hour, and his old bones are near enough frozen. He must have imagined the sound of splashing because there was no boat, no saviour. He's still alone. And now the night skies have blocked out the moon again, everything is pitch black. He turns away reluctantly and shakes his head. Domkop! Tyler the Rescuer, Tyler the Thief, and me an ageing James Bond. You've been reading too many novels, you old fool. Outside, apart from the sound of the water, all is silence. He unwraps one of his remaining humbugs and sucks it slowly to counter his hunger. Not tonight, then. But maybe tomorrow. Once again... He arranges himself under the bed covers, aching for the release of sleep. Not lonely, just solitary, he reminds himself as he pats his pocket, soothed by the feel of the stones within their velvet nest. The Seesaw of Isolation was written by Diane Bowne Wilson and read by Stephen Blake. Studio production was by Mark Lingwood. The series producer is Bibi Berkey. It was brought to you by Tempest Productions. <laughs>